Good morning everyone and a very warm welcome to Hillhead at the Grosvenor. Please do stay and have a cup of tea or coffee at the end of the service but it will have to be a quick cup of tea or coffee because we are all warmly invited to share in the baptism of five of our friends this afternoon at three o'clock in Adelaide Place Baptist Church and we've been asked to enter the church. Thank you Anne. For our call to worship this morning, I'm going to use some extracts from a very ancient Irish prayer known as St. Patrick's Breastplate. St. Patrick wrote a very long prayer trying to explain the Trinity and in a Celtic tradition, binding himself, wrapping himself around with the name of the Trinity to keep him safe. I bind to myself today the strong virtue of the invocation of the Trinity. I believe the Trinity in unity, the creator of the universe. I bind to myself today God's power to guide me, God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to teach me, God's eye to watch over me, God's ear to hear me, God's word to give me speech, God's hand to guide me, God's way to lie before me, God's shield to shelter me, God's host to secure me. Our opening hymn is a hymn expressing something of the wonder of the Trinity. Today as I wake, sorry, today I awake, and God is before me. And if you're able, you are invited to stand as we sing. If you opened up your prayer book, you would find lots of prayers that were about the Trinity or were addressed to the Trinity, but there aren't. However, I did find one in a Baptist resource. And so we're going to use this prayer 
at the start of our worship. And then, as is our usual custom and practice, after that prayer, we will join together in the Lord's Prayer in the form that feels the most natural to each of us. So let's pray. Living love, beginning and end, giver of food and drink, clothing and warmth, love and hope, life in all its goodness, we praise and adore you. Jesus, wisdom and word, lover of outcasts, friend of the poor, one of us yet one with God, crucified and risen, life in the midst of death, we praise and adore you. Holy Spirit, storm and breath of love, bridge builder, eye opener, unseen and unexpected, untamable energy of life, we praise and adore you. Holy Trinity, forever one, whose nature is community, source of all sharing, in whom we love and meet and know our neighbour, life in all its fullness, making all things new, we praise and adore you. And in response to the wonder of your being, we join our prayers with those of countless others in the words Jesus taught his followers, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. 
So today it's Trinity Sunday when we sometimes choose to ponder one of the most mysterious of all mysteries, how we can have a God who is simultaneously one and three. A few weeks ago I showed you something very similar to this. It wasn't one of these, but it was something very similar. Can anybody remember what it was that we had a few weeks ago? Merbius strip. strip, that's right. And what happened when I cut it all the way around? You do separate bits that all integrate. Um, you do if you do it a third of the way round, yes. And if you do it halfway round, um, you get a very long one. Yep. But it's all about how you cut it, isn't it, Wendy? Absolutely. Well, I have something else because Mark, um, Andrew, when we did it, um, when we talked about how you cut it, he came up with an idea, and I said, well, no, actually, it's not a Merbius strip that does that. It's actually a piece of paper or ribbon with three twists in it before you make the loop. And if you keep cutting and cutting all the way around, I should have made this a bit smaller. This is taking quite a long time to cut. <coughs> I will get there. It will make something that is not one long loop. And it will make something that is not two intersecting loops. At least it will if I've done it right. So I have a nasty feeling I might have done this wrong. No, I haven't. Da-da. Who would like to come and take the bottom bit for me? I need one person. I need three hands to do this, and I only have two. Bonnie, would you hold the bottom? Can you see that loop at the bottom? Would you hold it? Thank you, Anita. So if we just even that out a bit, and we have, what do we have there, Bonnie? <coughs> it's not quite a cross, is it? It's a bit like a cross, but what is it? Can everybody see what it is? A trefoil. A trefoil, yeah. It is, in fact, a trinity knot. And that was what Andrew said when we um, looked at it. So it's one thing. It's a bit like a flower, that's right. So it's a... It's a a trinity knot. So the picture we've got on the screen, thank you very much, Anita, is a trinity knot with a circle threaded through it around as well. It's how one of the ways we try to understand this mystery of a God who is at the same time three and one. Because you all saw that I only had one loop of ribbon and I only made one cut and yet I ended up with a knot with three loops. So it's still one, but it's also three. And there are some other things that we use um, to help us think a little bit about the Trinity. And none of them perfect, so all the people who are counting my heresies and checking them off, it's okay. So what have we got here? Anybody thought we've got here? I hope they'll wake up a bit more before this afternoon. It could be slightly embarrassing, couldn't it, if we're all asleep this afternoon. What shape is it? It's a triangle. Hurrah. Anybody spot something a little bit strange about this triangle? It keeps triangling, exactly. I think that's. Sorry, somebody up here was saying something. You only see two, you don't see the third colour. Yeah, yeah, I think the, the, the expression down here, which I think was actually a really good way of describing it. It keeps on triangling. It's actually an impossible triangle. You can draw it, but you couldn't make it. And I think that also gives us a, a funny way of thinking into some of this mystery of a God who is three and one, is that you can kind of come up with an idea about it, but actually you can never make the idea make quite happen. <coughs> But three is a very interesting number, and because I like maths and because I like science, there's going to be quite a bit of freeness in this service, so I apologise for that. What have we got there? A stool. And what's special about the stool? Okay, and um, we've some nice derisory comments. So it's a stool, it's got three legs. What's special about a three-legged stool? There's something special about a three-legged stool. It doesn't wobble, that's right. If you've got a four-legged stool and you put it on an uneven surface, it will wobble. 
But if you get a three-legged stool and put it on an uneven surface, it will actually sit quite comfortably and be stable. So it's a very stable shape. It's a triangle. So three legs, one stool, something very stable. <coughs> Anyone know, doesn't, not where this is, but what this is? I think it is a train station, yeah, but what part of a train station is it? The roof. Okay, it's a roof, yep. And what shape do you notice in the struts that are making the roof? There's actually two, two shapes there. Triangle is one of them, and the other one is a, a curve or an arch. So actually, a triangle... Sorry? It is a bit like a rainbow shape, Bonnie. You're absolutely right. Yes, I can see a rainbow in that as well. And rainbow is a great sign of God's promises to us, isn't it? But the triangle is actually the strongest basic shape there is. And so in all kinds of engineering structures, you will find triangles. Arches are also really strong. So if you combine arches with, with triangles, you get something that is, in my opinion, beautiful and also very strong. Now, we also use triangles... Um, in this country, I had to hunt quite hard to get ones that were this country and other countries for road signs. And these are kind of warning road signs, but what do they mean? Anybody know what, anybody know what any of these are to tell us about? Children crossing. Okay, so bottom left is children crossing. Yep. Which one's the roundabout? No, top left is a roundabout. And I know that is a British one because it's got the arrows going the right way for a British roundabout. Ducks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Beware of ducks. So yeah, where ducks cross the road, it's one you perhaps find in the countryside more than the city, where ducks are going to cross the road, it's to warn the drivers to look out for the ducks so they don't drive so fast that they splatter the ducks. Yeah. Traffic lights. So yeah, sometimes it's just a warning to say there's traffic lights ahead. If, you, if you're driving along a long, 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 long road, uh, just to warn you that there are traffic lights ahead. And what's the last one? Watch out for tractors. Yeah, I was down in um, Cambridgeshire last week or during the week and got stuck behind quite a few tractors. <coughs> if you're living in the countryside and you're going out for a ride, you have to allow extra time at this time of year for tractors and combines and goodness knows what. <coughs> so we also use triangles as, as, as signs to tell us about things, not just to warn us, but to, to make us think about things. And then I think one last picture of a triangle-shaped thing. It's an Egyptian pyramid. Yep. So that's got how many faces? Four, because it's, well, it's on the ground, so <laughs> it hasn't got a flat face on the bottom because it's on the ground. But four faces, and they're all triangles, because triangles are strong, and we know how old the pyramids are. So it sort of seems to demonstrate quite nicely to us the strength of triangles. Now, I'm not saying that God is a triangle, so please don't go away with that message. What I'm saying is there is something about triangles and their strength and their simplicity and their usefulness that helps us to think about some of the characteristics of God and the knotty thing, the strip that is cut and becomes a three-looped knot, helps us to understand or express perhaps something of the mystery of this God who is one and three. We'll never understand it, so don't come and ask me to explain it after because I can't, but it is a mystery in the right sense of the word and it's a really wonderful way for us as Christians to understand our God. So we're going to do a little bit of freeness in our singing. We've got a very old chorus I learned when I was at school. And the way we're going to do it is we're going to sing the first verse all together. And then we're going to split into three parts. And part one is going to be most of the sopranos, plus the first um, three... We'll go four rows. Up as far as the row with... Um, Neil and Ken at the end. So up this side is group one. The second group is the first half of the choir on this side, and that will be up as far as Ian and Mary will be the second group to come in. And everybody else at the back, plus me, 
plus the back of the choir will be group three. So the way it will work, we'll sing the first, one all to, all, first verse all together. Second verse, group one will sing the first line. When they get to the end of the first line, group two, come in with the first line. And when we, they've got to the end of the first line, group three, come in with the first line. So we sing verses two and verses three as a round. And I know you can do this, because I know you're clever people, and I've done this with people who are not as clever as you, and they've managed it. So no pressure. Thanks, Paul. We have quite a few Bible readings today, so bear with me as I work my way through them all. Um, our first reading is um, the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1, verses 1 to 3. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Our next one is John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And we've got 1 Corinthians chapter 13 from different verses. If I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. When I was a child... I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. 
Now I know only in part. Then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope and love abide. Of these three, and the greatest of these is love. The last one is Matthew Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Over the years, from time to time, I have chosen to try to preach on the subject of the Trinity. Sometimes I have chosen one or more of the metaphors, imperfect though they are, and tried to focus on that. Other times I've used works of art to explore ideas around the Trinity as community, or the Trinity and mission. On occasion, I have used big words. My big word count includes perichoresis, co-eternal and consubstantial. I've also tried to do it in plain English. The truth is, any attempt to explain this Christian doctrine is inadequate because there is not a word, an image, a metaphor or an analogy that can come anywhere close to explaining what is in the end, a mystery. The trouble is, we use the word mystery rather glibly to describe something we don't understand, that we don't have a way of making sense of. We just don't find the words. And, And that is to underestimate what we are talking about here. Mystery is a deeply spiritual word a religious word that draws us into the ultimate reality that is divine, draws us into a reality that is both imminent and transcendent, something that we can feel sometimes very close and yet is always far away and beyond us and can be both things at once. And it is a mystery in which we begin to discover our own true identity, our own true worth as children of God. When I decided I was going to preach on the Trinity a few weeks back, I picked some readings and I put them in the key. And then life got in the way. And the reality is on Thursday afternoon when I sat down to write a sermon, I hadn't got any energy with which to do so. So what I'm going to offer you instead is some different ways of reflecting on this idea of Trinity and thinking about God as Trinity. And we're going to start with something that if you do social media, you may already have seen. If you don't, you may not have done. It is humorous and it uses some very bad fake Irish accents. But it talks about the Trinity a little bit using St. Patrick as it's uh, way into that. 
Okay, Patrick, tell us a bit more about this Trinity thing. Yeah, Patrick, tell us. But remember that we're simple people without your fancy education and books and learning, and we're hearing about all of this for the first time. So try to keep it simple, okay, Patrick? Yeah, real simple, Patrick. Sure, there are uh, three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, yet there is only one God. Don't get what you're saying here, Patrick. Not picking up what you're laying down here, Patrick. Could you use an analogy, Patrick? Sure. Uh, the Trinity is like uh, water and how you can find water in three different forms. Liquid and ice and vapor. That's modalism, Patrick! What? Modalism, an ancient heresy confessed by teachers such as Noetus and Sibelius, which espouses that God is not three distinct persons, but that he merely reveals himself in three different forms. This heresy was clearly condemned in Canon 1 at the First Council of Constantinople in 381 AD, and those who confess it cannot rightly be considered a part of the Church Catholic. Come on, Patrick! Yeah, get it together, Patrick! Uh, okay, uh, then the Trinity is like uh, the sun in the sky, where you have the star and the light and the heat. Oh, Patrick. Come on, Patrick. That's Arianism, Patrick. Arianism? Yes, Arianism, Patrick. A theology which states that Christ and the Holy Spirit are creations of the Father and not one in nature with him. Exactly like how heat and light are not the star itself, but are merely creations of the star. That's a bad analogy, Patrick. You're the worst, Patrick. All right, sorry. The Trinity is like... Uh, this three-leaf clover here. I'm gonna stop you right there, Patrick. Yeah, hold your horses, Patrick. You're about to confess partialism. Partialism? Yes, partialism. A heresy which asserts that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not distinct persons of the Godhead, but are different parts of God, each composing one-third of the divine. And who confesses the heresy of partialism? The first season of the cartoon program Voltron, where five robot lion cars merge together to form one giant robot samurai, obviously. I've never heard of Voltron. Of course you haven't. It's not going to exist for another 1,500 years now, Patrick. Yeah, get with the program, Patrick. I mean, really, Patrick. I'm going to stab you in the face, Patrick. Okay, that was probably a bit much. All right, I'll try again. Uh, the Trinity is like how the same man can be a husband and a father and an employer. Modalism again. All right, then it's like the three layers of an apple. Partialism revisited. Fine. The Trinity is a mystery which cannot be comprehended by human reason, but is understood only through faith and is best confessed in the words of the Athanasian Creed, which states that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the substance, that we are compelled by the Christian truth to confess that each distinct person is God and Lord, and that the deity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is one, equal in glory, co-equal in majesty. Well, why didn't you just say that, Patrick? Yeah, quit beating around the bush, Patrick. Now let's all put on some giant green foam hats, get riotously drunk, and vomit in the Chicago River to celebrate our conversion. So what do you guys do for a living? Well, we come from a long line of snake farmers, Patrick, but truth be told, business has been real bad lately. Oh. Yeah, about that. For anybody who doesn't get the reference at the end, uh, St. Patrick is credited with driving the snakes out of Ireland. So if they were snake farmers, they'd lost their snakes since St. Patrick came along. So analogies, they are imperfect and inadequate, and some of them are even dismissed as heresies, heresies being things that the church historically has rejected. But I think we need to be a little careful about seeing heresy as necessarily bad, because those ideas get us thinking. And if nobody had had those ideas, we'd have to think them up for ourselves. And I can certainly remember as a child being told the shamrock story, and it helped me to get some handle on the idea of the Trinity. And the ice, water, steam one, I kind of came across for myself as a teenager. But I guess we need to be careful. We need to be careful that we don't become so afraid of getting it wrong, of believing something that's heretical, that we lose everything along the way. There's a risk of throwing out the baby with the bathwater. The shamrock 
has some value. The knot has some value. The impossible triangle has some value. And we should hold on to what's good in those without becoming bound by them. And now, as they say, for something totally different. I'm going to read you a modern sonnet by a a writer called Malcolm Geat, or Malcolm Geit, I'm never quite sure how to say his surname, who I believe is a priest. This is his poem called Trinity Sunday. In the beginning, not in time or space, but in the quick before both space and time, in life, in love, in co-inherent grace, the three in one and one in three, in rhyme, in music, in the whole creation story, in his own image, his imagination, the triune poet makes us for his glory and makes us each other's inspiration. He calls us out of darkness, chaos, chance, to improvise a music of our own, to sing the chord that calls us to the dance. Three notes resounding from a single tone, to sing the end in whom we all begin, our God beyond, beside us, and within. When I was studying history theory, or the theory of history, um, a few years ago now, I came across the concept of poiesis, which has the same Greek root as the word poet, or poetry, Um, It's interesting that a lot of Scots, when they say poem or poet, stick back the letter that has been lost from the Greek. There you go. Extra vowels have their place, honest. But the idea of poems and poiesis is that it's something more than mere fact. And this was the idea that history, as we tell it, is more than just a catalogue of facts. It conveys meaning. We choose the words we choose the sentences, we choose the shape of the argument we create to express meaning. So maybe we could think of Trinity as poem and of this poem as helping us to think a little bit about Trinity. And then I'm going to move on to the number three. And this is completely and utterly self-indulgent because I love maths and I love numbers. And it seems that from ancient times, the uniqueness and mystery of what we might call threeness, the being of three, has fascinated mathematicians and philosophers. And in many world faiths, the number three continues to be significant. If you want to define a plane, so a surface, or a circle, the minimum number of points you need to do so is three. If you want to define a straight line, I'm sure you know you just need two. But a surface, or a circle, you need three. Three is the smallest number of sides that a polygon with no intersecting sides can have. And a triangle is a polygon with the fewest possible sides. Every other polygon, so shape of many sides, can be divided into or made up of triangles. According to Pythagoras, the number three, called triad, is the noblest of all digits, as it's the only number to equal the sum of the terms below it, so 1 plus 2 equals 3, and it's the only number whose sum with those below equals the product of them and itself. Certainly in ancient culture, it was considered to be a very significant number, 
a number with mystical properties. And in our own time, if you look up any of the major philosophers, you would be amazed, or perhaps you wouldn't, how often they come up with schemes that have three strands or three ideas. Certainly when I was studying theology, we did an awful lot of things that had three intersecting circles. Three seems to be a significant number in human thinking, whether religious, philosophical, or otherwise. Perhaps that mysterious threeness as something that is unique and essential is what we glimpse in the Trinity. Now I can see quite a few bewildered faces because I'm talking maths and numbers and stuff that only weird people like me like. So I'm going to give you a picture. This is called a Sierpinski Triangle. And you may well have drawn one of these yourself. You may well have drawn many of these yourself, just doodling. They're amazingly beautiful designs that can go on infinitely. And they start off just simply with an equilateral triangle. And you'd make a dot at halfway along each long side, and you connect them with straight lines. So you would divide the triangle into four triangles which you can sort of see there, one clear one facing downwards and three patterned ones around it. And then you just can keep on doing this process over and over and over. And what I like about this is it's the kind of incorporation of more and more triangles into the big triangle. So if the one triangle is God that is then somehow carved up that carving up is the incorporation of us within it. But not just us, all people in all places and all times. And somehow, for me, this is like the idea of mission as the infinite extension and outworking of this pattern as more and more are drawn into the mystery of the triune God. I like it. You might not. You might find it bewildering. You might find it confusing. You might think it's nonsense. That's okay, because all these analogies are imperfect. <coughs> you might be thinking, well, is she ever going to get to these four scriptures that we read out? Well, yes and no. I'm going to hand out in a minute um, some sheets of paper that have them printed on them and that also have the sonnets and the Sierpinski Triangle. And on the screen, we're going to have some images, some fractal patterns, um, which are things that can emerge from triangles going on and on and on forever. And we're going to have some other images related to the Trinity, and we're going to have some music. And we're just going to have some time to reflect privately on the scriptures, on the concepts, on the mystery of this God who we understand as revealed specially to us in the person of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit.
if we're able, shall we stand to sing again the God of Abraham praise. Let us pray. Triune God, we come before you on this Trinity Sunday as a God whose very nature within the Godhead holds relationship, holds community. We take comfort in the fact that you exist for relation and that we, made in your image, exist too for others around us. We thank you for communities everywhere, for social and family bonds that sustain us as selves living never in isolation, but in the embrace, formal or intimate, of human connection. But we know that so many in our world do not feel that connection. People who though created in the divine image, feel many steps removed from the happy, healthy, thriving relationship of divine purpose. We bring before you this morning those who feel disconnected from their larger communities, whether from war and strife, through forced immigration, or because of some form of ethnic division. In our own minds, in the short collective silence that follows, we offer our prayers for the peoples and places in the world that trouble us most dearly. 
We bring before you all these brothers and sisters, from the infant to the elderly, in the name of the Creator Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We also think of those who feel marginalized or alienated within their community because they do not fit in, for whatever reason, with the majority standards. As they struggle to find identity, acceptance, and full social embrace, they too often meet with resistance and hostility, sometimes tacitly, sometimes openly. In our minds, in the short collective silence that follows, we offer our prayers for those in minority that concern us most dearly. We bring before you all these brothers and sisters from the infant to the elderly in the name of the Creator Mother, Christ the Son, and the Spirit. We think too of families that have been broken apart. We know that the family unit is a changing concept, but however we conceive of its fundamental makeup, we know it represents the most secure, the most caring, the most intimate of bonds we can create. We thus bring before you this morning those who feel these bonds have been severed or have lost their cohesion, whether through forced separation, through instituted laws, through domestic violence, or through internal strain between members. In our own minds, in the short collective silence that follows, we offer our prayers for those families that concern us most dearly. We bring before you all these brothers and sisters from the infant to the elderly in the name of the Creator Parent, the Word made flesh, and the Holy Ghost. We bring before you the many who feel a profound sense of loneliness, regardless of the communities they exist within, whether great or small. We think of those whose sense of being alone or bereft has resulted from social isolation, from homelessness, or simply an inability to cope with the larger world. But we also think of those whose loneliness, fleeting or permanent, is a result of loss and of grieving for those close to them no longer present. In our own minds, in the short collective silence that follows, we offer our prayers for those individuals that concern us most dearly. We bring before you all these brothers and sisters from the infant to the elderly in the name of the Creator Sovereign, Jesus Christ the Son and the Comforter. Finally, we rejoice with those who, this very afternoon, will join in the rite of baptism as a mark of new fellowship with the Trinity God and the people of God. May all come to experience this fellowship in their own way, that we may find rest, peace, and joy in the collective embrace of a love divine, all-excelling. With that hope and promise, we offer these prayers. Amen.
holy gods beyond our comprehension, yet closer than our breathing, we bring these gifts in gratitude and ask you to help us to spend them wisely to the glory of your name. Amen. Just before we sing our last hymn, a reminder that that will be immediately followed by a sung blessing. And at that point, those of us that need to get away to get ready for this afternoon are going to vamoose. So please excuse us if we just disappear rather um, summarily at that point. Freedom and life are ours, for Christ has set us free. We stand as we can to sing.